Welcome back to the golden age of optimism. I am an optimist. I believe the future is going to be wonderful. My name's John Charles Harmon, and I am the author who is reading my books into this podcast. This podcast is a little bit different than audio recordings of books because it's unedited, unscripted, and one time reading it in chapter by chapter. So it goes in chronological order. You'll have to go back to episode one of each book to start at the beginning. If you start at episode six or seven or eight, you're going to be in the middle of the book or in some cases at the end of the book, which is fine. You'll hear the ending. But if you want to hear the whole book, you're going to have to start with episode one. I'm doing my books, and at some point I may do some other authors that I know and read some of their books in if they... um, are willing to let me do it. Of course, I have to get the rights to do that. I have to have to get permission from them. So, we're going to continue now with my autobiography, which is called Sitting on a Log. It was around 9.30 p.m., and Tara was going to leave in half an hour. There was only one more place to put up the banners, and that was on the way on the other side of the horse corrals. There were no lights over there, but the moon was full and the, it was very bright. It was so beautiful. We put the banners up and then, well, we started to kiss. We started to make out because there was no one else around and no one that would see us anyway. We were very attracted to each other. After about 20 minutes or so, someone made an announcement over the loudspeaker that the people from Albuquerque had to go to the bus because they would be leaving back to their hotels in Dallas. I knew we wouldn't have to stick around, we being the stage crew, for a while longer and clean up before we were able to go back to our hotels. So I gave Tara my phone number and I told her to give me a call. I asked her to call me when she got back to her hotel in Dallas. We did our cleanup, and the vans took us back to our hotel. Just as I went in the door, I heard the phone ring, and it was Tara. It was almost midnight by now, maybe 11, 11.30, something like that. And I was tired. She was tired. But the moon was still full outside. We talked, and then she said, I want to come see you. Well, I was surprised, but there was no way I was saying no. She said she would take a cab but that I had to pay because she didn't have enough money for the cab. It would take about half an hour to ride out to my hotel from Dallas. I took a shower and then stood looking down at the window, looking down from the window, waiting for the cab and praying no one would see it pull up. When the cab came, I ran downstairs and paid the cab driver. I took his card because I knew I would have to get her back to Dallas later. She told me she hadn't slept with anyone for over a year, ever since the separation from her husband. Tara turned out to be a, quote, screamer, unquote. And since it had been some time since I had been with anyone, we actually went off for quite a while before we fell asleep. We slept for maybe one or two hours at the most. We got up just before dawn, called a cab, and she headed back to Dallas to get ready for the big show that evening at the Big D Ranch. We exchanged phone numbers, and we both promised to call each other because we knew that 
that day that we most likely would not see each other the rest of the convention. I went back to my room and took a shower again. We had to meet at 7 a.m. and go to finish up some preparations for the, the big show and the people that were coming. When I opened my door and walked into the hallway, lo and behold, I ran right into Gary Murray, who was opening his door. I had never known that I was in the room right next to his. He stared at me, blurry-eyed, and then he just blurted out, John, that girl was screaming all night. I barely got any sleep at all. I was more than a bit embarrassed, but at the same time, I really didn't care if he had slept or not. I was wide awake, and the few hours of sleep I did get came with a nice memory from the night before. Gary, Gary, what can I say? Uh, we practice Buddhism. It's karma, man. It's karma. Come on, let's go have some coffee, he said. Not mad, not happy, just very tired. He sat in the hotel restaurant as the other guys filtered in from the crew. Over once in a while, would come every once in a while, someone would come over to the table and ask, Hey, man, did you hear that girl screaming last night? Gary would just point his finger right at me. I was pretty embarrassed, but, but I felt pretty macho at the same time. The show went off without a hitch. And lucky for me, Gary had me doing some remedial task far away from the show so I could just take a nap. Tara went back to Albuquerque the next day. We talked briefly before she left, but we were not able to see each other. We cleaned up the set and went back to Santa Monica a few days later. Tara and I carried on a long-distance relationship for almost two years. It was good for me in a way because I had a girlfriend that I didn't have to see all the time. I would fly her out to visit me or I would go visit her almost every two months or so. And we would talk on the phone sometimes every other day for an hour or two. I was hesitant to get into a relationship with someone that had children and she was still not divorced. After about a year, she came out to see me for four days and we had a long talk. She explained that her husband, Jim, wanted her daughter, Maria, to take a blood test to see if it was his child. The younger one, Michelle, was lighter skinned than Tara, and, and she sort of looked like Jim. I'd seen him a couple times. He was fighting to have joint custody, and even though he came from sort of a wealthy family, he was not paying her much money like the war court had ordered him to pay during the separation. Tara was working, and I would send her some money when I could. She then explained that when she was 17 years old and dating him, she had gone to a party with her older brother. Someone had slipped drugs into her drink, and she had been raped by more than one person. When she realized that she was pregnant, she thought for sure it was Jim's baby because she only remembered waking up at home. And her and Jim had been having a relationship at that point. Her older brother had left the party earlier, but one of his friends called him and told him what was happening. He went back, he got tar, and he drove her home. She was out of it. The next day, her three older brothers found out who was the instigator and beat him to a pulp. Her older brother went to jail, 
but they were scared to tell Tara what had happened. When they found out she was pregnant, they kept telling her to get an abortion, but Jim had already proposed. So they left the subject alone, not knowing for sure if the baby was the result of the rape or if it was Jim's baby. Her second oldest brother had only recently told her the story. She was in tears telling me and not certain what she should do. The next day, before I took her to the airport, we sat in a little restaurant eating breakfast, and I gave her my opinion. I told her children were children and just needed love. It didn't matter where they came from. Her two girls had already gotten to know me a little bit, and I liked them. I told her she should refuse any blood test. She should tell him, Jim, that she would let him forego any of the child support that he already owed, as long as she could have full custody with no visitation rights. By making that proposal, she would see what really mattered to him and not what he said through his attorney that mattered. She flew back and she told him, and he accepted that offer only with visitation rights just twice per year. He was already in another relationship, actually. He was happy to be rid both of her and the children, and not have to pay her all the money he owed her. I decided pretty much that an instant family was not too bad. I always liked kids. Tara was a hard-working and honest person. We tried to decide if I should move out to Albuquerque or if she should move out to Santa Monica. It was not an easy decision because I really liked Albuquerque and she really liked Santa Monica. I went to visit her and we had decided that we would try to come up with a final decision over the four days that I was there visiting. Tara looked very much like American Indian, but her father was part African and part American Indian from Oklahoma. Her mother was full-blooded Pueblo Indian. Tara never talked about her family too much, and when I went to visit her, she had an apartment with a roommate, so we didn't go to her house very often. Her mother liked me, and her father, of course, wasn't too sure. Her brothers looked like they wanted to kill me any minute, but they were more show than anything else. Paul, her older brother, had just got out of jail after serving three years for defending his sister, and now here she was with another white guy. We went out to the Pueblo Indian Reservation, north of Albuquerque, that Saturday for what they called a, quote, gallo, unquote, it was some kind of religious festival, and the Indians would dance for hours in a large circle. There were at least 200 of them dancing in full regalia. After, they would go through the streets and then throw gifts and candy to the children. You had to be a Pueblo Indian and part of the reservation or be invited. I was invited. We were at Tara's aunt's house all day, and it seemed like all the other houses, only it was situated overlooking the plaza and a little bit bigger than the other houses where the dancers were. There were only a few houses like that, so it was pretty nice because I could hang out on the patio and watch everything and then go back inside whenever I liked. They had chili, cornbread, and other snacks, and people would come and go throughout the day. I was there with Tara, the two girls, and her mother. Her father didn't go. At the end of the day, we drove her mother back home, and Tara left me there 
to go pick up some things from the market with her mom. So now I was alone with her father. He sat me down in the kitchen and he said, let's have a talk. I didn't like the sound of that because he was a hard guy to understand. He was often very, very quiet. But once he found a topic that interested him, he would talk for hours. He liked to drink. I could tell he had already had a few too many, and this time he seemed serious. He said, so how did you like the reservation? He asked. I liked it, I said. It was very different. Not what I expected, but I liked where Tara's aunt lived. We had a great view of the dances, I replied. Then he narrowed his eyes a little and said, I already know Tara is going to tell you that she will want to move out to Santa Monica with you. I looked surprised to hear that because we had not made any decision yet. Look, I think that is fine, he said. I discussed it with her and you seem like a good person. I can see how much Marina and Michelle like you. I just want you to promise me you will take care of all my little princesses. I felt somewhat relieved. That is all he was asking because... I expected more serious words. So I said, yes, I, I love all of them, and I, I will take care of them. I believe all children should have a chance in life, and I want to give them the best chance they can. He'd had a few drinks. I wouldn't say he was totally drunk, but he was a little drunk, but not to the point of not being rational. All of a sudden, he slammed his fist down on the table, and he said again, in a more assertive way, I want you to promise me you take care of my princesses. He emphasized the princesses. Now I, I was a little bit scared and feeling like he was getting a little weird or something, or maybe he had too much to drink because he had just asked me the same question. I said, yes, I, I will take care of them. I answered back, trying to be calm and hoping Tara would get back soon. Then he just stared me down and he looked me in the eyes and he told me this story. He said, do you know why I didn't go there with you? It is because we were banned from that reservation over 10 years ago. My wife is one of the daughters, two daughters of the chief. I'm not going to tell you how we met and what happened. That is a long and personal story. I will tell you that when she asked for approval from her father to marry me, he did not give it. And he said if she did marry me, she would be banned from the reservation. She married me anyway. I went there once a few years ago with my sons because they wanted them to go through the rituals for young men, which they all did, but I was still uncomfortable. I bet when you were there today, there were a lot of men that came in and out all day long looking at you and talking. I said, yes, there were, but I, I stayed mostly with Tara's little girls, I replied. Well, they were counsel of the chief. The chief would never lay his eyes on you. He probably would never even look at you. They would come and observe you, then go back and confer with him. Tara probably left at times with her mother. Am I right? I acknowledged him with a nod. They went to talk with other relatives about you also. Do you know how rare it is that they consider any outsider to actually be even be invited there? Let me tell you that up until only recently, it was almost never my wife is happy now because she can go to participate in the festivals with her family, and I'm happy for her. 
Tara has told me that you have encouraged her to be part of the festivals also and the dances on the reservation. I think because of that, they may have wanted to see who you were. Otherwise, they would not have allowed you to go out there. Now, do you understand what I mean when I ask you to take care of my princesses? I was shocked. I said, yes, sir, I think I do. I was dumbfounded. There was obviously a lot I did not know and most likely would never know. Tara and her mom then were at the door and quickly he said to me, a little more quietly, you don't ever say a word of our conversation to anyone. Do you understand? I nodded yes and then came in the, they came in the door. Later that night, back at Tara's apartment, she told me she wanted to move out to Santa Monica with the girls. We planned it all out and decided we would make the move in a month or so. I went back to Santa Monica the next day and started to think about my instant family. I was hesitant, for sure, but at the same time, it was sort of exciting, and I, I wanted a family. I flew out a month later, bought a used Dodge Caravan, and we all headed back to Santa Monica. It was the middle of summer and hot, but we made it back in two days. We started our family life, and it was pretty good. Marina and Michelle were a joy to be around. Marina was six years old now, and Michelle was three years old. Tara was a devoted mother and a good significant other for me. She was much more outgoing than I was and made friends easily. She found work, and I was still working for my father doing the construction jobs. Tara kept her promise, and when Christmas break came, came around, she went back to Albuquerque and practiced for the ceremonial dances with her mom. I never went back to the reservation and really didn't have much desire to do so after the speech Tara's father had given me. We had a good life, a lot of fun raising the two girls, and we rarely had any arguments. We both were still practicing Buddhism and had risen to the level of district leaders in our chapter. We held meetings once a week at our apartment and we participated in different events, including going back to Hawaii for another convention that was held 10 years after the first one. We would take the girls up to my sister's house in Topanga to go for hikes, and they really enjoyed the nature. We never talked about getting married because we both felt comfortable with our relationship and didn't see any great need. I wanted to have a child of my own one day, but Tara was a young mother, and I could see she was not that interested in going through the process of having another child anytime soon, so I left the topic alone. I was a pretty good father and took the girls all over the place with me. We went to ball games, festivals, anything that we decided was fun to do, movies. We went back to Albuquerque at least two or three times a year to visit her family, but as time went on, it got less and less, mainly because her brother, Paul, was still into drugs and alcohol, plus the fact that her parents' home was small. There was not much room for us. About four years into the relationship, we started to have some problems. She was having her girlfriends over to the apartment too often. I didn't like the fact that they would sit around at night, drink, and often smoke cigarettes. I put my foot down and told her that if she wanted to hang out with her friends, they should go somewhere else, not at our house, because it was not a good influence for the two girls, Marina and Michelle. At the same time, I was having a lot of problems at work, mainly because Durrell 
was continuing to take advantage of my father, and I didn't like it. He was getting paid five or ten times the many I was getting paid, and I couldn't find it in me to ask my father for a raise. I consulted with some of my leaders in the Buddhist organization, and they said it was normal for a father to be harder on his son in work situations. I wasn't too happy with that advice, so I decided to go off on my own. I started doing jobs on my own and was suddenly making a lot of money. One referral led to the next, and pretty soon I often had three or four jobs going at once. I was working from 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. on a lot of days and also on Saturdays. I had less and less time for Tara and the kids, but they were getting older and going to school on their own, so I just assumed the more money I made, the better. Tara seemed happy because I gave her more money to spend, but really she was not that happy because now she had to take on more of the burden of raising the girls. Around the same time, I had hired a guy I knew from Buddhism named Brent. He was a few years older than me and had done a lot of landscaping work over the years. He also spoke fluent Spanish, and on most of the jobs we hired illegals because it was cheaper to hire them for labor than and he communicated with them well. The bad part is that Brent also brewed his own beer. So often after work, we would hang out at his house and drink his homemade beer and play darts. My mother loved the two girls, but right around that time, I noticed something had changed with my mother. She seemed to have put on a lot of age, and she seemed sad. She was a few years older than my father, and suddenly it made me start to think about what it meant to get older. My father had built his dream house on the Franklin Hill in Santa Monica. It was really big with two elevators, nine baths, and every amenity anyone could ever want. It was after that house was built that I went off on my own doing the construction. My sisters and I all thought that our mom should be a lot happier living in the big dream house. But she wasn't happy, and it took many years before I ever knew why. It was just early March, and I was seriously considering closing up the construction business I was running on my own and putting more time in to my relationship with Tara and the kids. We had one job we had just finished, and I missed the bids on two others. Brent told me he had some other things he needed to do, and that is he wouldn't be able to work full-time for a few months. I was at his house one day trying to coax him out of it, and when he came up, he finally let it out. He told me that I had to keep it a secret and that if I would help him with it, I could make a lot of money. He had my curiosity for sure. He lived in an apartment above a garage in a duplex. He took me to his bedroom, moved the bed aside, pulled up the carpet that was over the hardwood floor and opened up a trap door that went down into the garage. When he opened the trap door, the light that came out almost blinded me. He had been growing a garden of marijuana plants in his garage under lights. I said, wow, Brent, what the heck is going on here? You don't smoke that stuff. I know you don't. I don't smoke it either, and those things are all tiny. When they get big, this whole building is going to reek of marijuana. He didn't say anything, and we went back upstairs. He closed it all up, and we sat down at his kitchen table. 
I'd been wondering why we couldn't use his garage to drink beer and play darts for the last few months, but he'd always given some lame excuse about the landlord or something, so I, I never worried about it. Look, John, here's the deal, he said. I met this old German guy that works at the Volkswagen repair place. He has this property about three hours north of here. It is in the foothills of the lower Sequoias, and it's really isolated. He asked me if I knew anyone that had marijuana seeds or where he could get some because he wanted to grow some on his property to sell. He is sort of like an old, crazy, Nazi German guy, but he has a good heart. He knew I did a lot of landscaping, so I guess that is why he asked me. Well, one thing led to the next, and he told me if I got all the plants started and put in the drip irrigation hoses, he would split the take with me 50-50. Look, John, I'm in way over my head. I've known you for years now, and I trust you. Otherwise, I wouldn't be telling you all this. You helped me out a lot by giving me work when I was almost getting evicted, so... I'm offering you half of what I make if you help me out. There's no way I can do all this work on my own. I will handle all the selling. I already have a guy that I've known for years that will buy most of it. <clears throat> I said, look, Brent, I don't know. I, I, think, I think I need a few days to think about this. I mean, I want to spend more time with Tara and the girls. And I, I have started taking real estate courses and I'm planning on getting my real estate license in the next few months. Now, how much money are we talking about here, dude? I told him. He said, I estimate we can each make about 25000 He said straight out and then he pulled a little notebook out of a drawer where he had all the costs, materials, and profits written down. He handed me the book and I looked it over. Look, John, I need someone that can put in about $1,000 for materials, maybe less. We need the irrigation system, fertilizer, and other things. I don't have that kind of extra money, and the German guy already thinks I'm committed to this. We shook hands, and I agreed to help him. I said, okay. It looked like fast money to me. I could wind down my construction business. I could study for the real estate exam. I would also have more time to spend with Tara and the two girls. I agreed, and we were now partners in crime. Brent went on to tell me that half the plants were called true indica and the seeds were very rare. The others were Hawaiian seeds, he said. He had almost 100 small plants, maybe more. We had a month to get all the work done to get the preparations done for the soil. I didn't want to lie to Tara, but I didn't want to tell her all the truth either. So I told her Brent and I had a big project to do three hours outside of Los Angeles. I would have to spend some days away, but it would all be done in a month or so. I bought all the materials that we needed and we headed up to the Paiute Mountains. It was a beautiful area and as isolated as Brent had told me it was. I had met the German, Wolf, a few days before we went up and he said, uh, he had a little shack up there where Brent and I could sleep at night. We dug 80 holes in between scrub oaks on his 20-acre property. It took us a good three weeks of hard labor to get it all prepared. We would leave on a Thursday morning at 4.30 a.m. and then head back to Santa Monica on Sunday afternoon, totally exhausted and dirty. In late May, when the threat of frost was over, we put all the plants 
in the back of my truck and covered them up with a big tarp early in the morning and drove up to put them in the ground. The worst part was over, and I didn't have to go back up there until the end of July. Brent would go up every once in a while and check on them. He would also make sure that Wolf was doing the watering correctly. When I went in July, I was shocked. The plants were getting really big. A month and a half later, Brent harvested them with Wolf. I went back up with Brent and some lesbian girl that he hired that Brent knew for a three-day trip to trim them and bring them back to Santa Monica. We bought a vacuum packaging machine to put them in one-pound bags. We had almost 70 pounds. But unfortunately, the person Brent thought would buy all of the stuff had backed out. I told him I was not getting involved in any selling, and that was our agreement. He understood, and he found other buyers. I ended up actually with more than $25,000 in cash. But it didn't come all at once. Tara and the two girls had a good Christmas that year. I bought everyone all kinds of nice gifts, and I also bought Tara a better car. We went to Lake Tahoe for a four-day trip and really enjoyed ourselves. I passed the real estate test a few months earlier and started working with Coldwell Banker. I would dress up and put on a suit and tie every day. I also took some of the money and put it down on a really nice 20-acre property that was across the road from where we grew the stuff where Wolf was. The property had a 40,000 gallon per day artesian spring on it. We planned to do more growing on my property because it was even more isolated than the Wolf one had, the one Wolf had. This time I told Brent I wasn't going to do anything, but since it was my property at risk, we should all get thirds. Everyone agreed, and Wolf also agreed, not to have any plants on his property. This time, I did almost nothing. Brent hired some illegal guys for a few days, and they did all the preparation work for the planting. He started over 200 seedlings, then went up on his own. He had him and Wolf put them in the ground. I went up a few times for just one day and would look around. Brent had put a small trailer. He painted dark green under some pine trees. Everything was going perfectly well with the project. Back at home, I was doing pretty good with real estate. I was able to make a few sales and get a few listings. I did all that on my own, but was not really happy. When my father, Darrell, or Darrell's mother, refused to give me any of their listings on projects they were doing, even though I was working for one of the best real estate companies there was. I proposed to Tara in March and bought her a nice engagement ring. We planned to get married the following year in the spring. It seemed to me that she was happy and we rarely had any arguments. I had bought a used VW camper van from one of my sister's friends and fixed it up. I had agreed that I would help bring the harvest back down to Santa Monica. I drove up with Brent early in August to take a look at the plants. On the way up, the clutch cable broke on the van and we had to drive the last 30 miles slowly in second gear. Wolf said he could weld the cable back on in the morning. I purposely parked the VW van on Wolf's property so as not to draw attention to my property. That night we drank some rum and some other drinks with Wolf and barbecued steaks. I slept in the van on Wolf's property and Brent slept over on my property in the little trailer. 
At 9 a.m., Wolf woke me up and said I needed to see what was going on. There was a sheriff's car up on the road about a mile or a mile and a half away and a helicopter flying around about five miles north of us up in the mountain. Brent came walking over about half an hour later and we all sort of hid out and watched as another sheriff's car met up with the one we had seen earlier. The helicopter had left and was nowhere in view. Then we watched as the two sheriff's cars turned down off the main road and started to head towards the cul-de-sac at the end of the road that led to my property, Wolf's property, and a few other vacant properties. We were not sure what was going on, but there was no reason for Brent and me to stick around. I hiked down the back end of Wolf's property, and Brent followed me. We planned to hike up the creek towards my property where we could climb up and see what the sheriffs did when they were there with Wolf. Partway up the creek, I decided maybe it was better. I just hid out where I was and stayed off of my property just in case the helicopter came back. Brent, Brent agreed and decided he needed to at least go to the trailer and get his things out of there. He had his backpack with his wad in it, and that could not be a good thing if the sheriff went up there. I climbed up away from the creek about 20, 30 yards and waited under some scrub oaks. Wolf was up on the hill only about 100 yards or 150 yards or so away. With all the growth in the steep hillside, no, no one could come down from that direction. I could barely hear some talking and just figured I would wait until after I didn't hear any more talking. Then I heard the dog bark, and I knew it wasn't Wolf's dog. Next, I heard the footsteps as one of the sheriffs was coming down the path the same way Brent and I had come. I quickly covered myself up with oak leaves, and I lay there as still as I could. I couldn't see anything, and I just waited. The sheriff came along the creek directly below me. I could hear him, and then I could hear the dog starting to bark, probably barking right in my direction. I thought for sure I was done for. I lay as still as I could, and just as the dog barked again, Three or four birds that I guess had been nesting in a scrub oak near me flew up in the air. I heard the sheriff say, Come on, that's just birds, and move on down the creek with the dog. I started to breathe again, but now I knew something was up. It had to be one of two things I concluded. First, they got Wolf for having some illegal vehicles. He had all kinds of Volkswagens, Volkswagen vans on his property, which he I'm sure some were not registered. Or I thought they had found some plants on his property, but he had promised Brent and I that he wasn't growing any. But knowing him, as I did, that was a possibility also. So I lay there for a while longer trying to decide what to do. I didn't hear anyone talking, but I did hear a car drive off. I wasn't sure if it was one or both of the cars Either way, I had to make some decision, and I had to make it fast. I came to the conclusion that I had to get my van and get the heck out of there as soon as possible. If they ran the plates on that van, they would know it was registered in my name. 
Wolf had at least six or eight VWs on his property, and all of them were in a various states of repair or being used for parts. But mine was parked right in front of his two-room shack. Either way, I decided I had to get my van and get out of there. I got up and hiked down the creek to the path we'd come from originally and walked up very slowly so that no one could tell I was coming. When I got to the point where I could see, there was Wolf sitting on a log with handcuffs on. The one sheriff car was there and standing about 30 yards in front of me was the sheriff with his back to me. Wolf saw me first, so I put my hand up to my lips for him to be quiet and moved behind a rock. Now I really needed to think. I needed to decide quickly if I should continue up the path or sneak back down and forget about my van. My mind raced, and then it hit me. They had to have him for growing plants on his property. If it was for the old VWs, they wouldn't have him in handcuffs. They would just write him up some citations or something. I also knew that it would not be too many plants because Wolf would not take too big of a risk or to do that much extra work. He just wouldn't do it since he was already taking care of the 200 or more plants that we had over on my property on the other side of the road. So now I had deduced that they had arrested him, what they had arrested him for, but could not think why the one sheriff car had left and the other one stayed there with Wolf. That made no sense to me at all. But I concluded it really didn't matter anyway. If the one car left and the other car with the sheriff was staying with Wolf, that had to mean the other one was coming back at some point. What I did know for sure is that they had not hiked the mile up to my property because the guy with the dog had turned around pretty close to where I was hiding originally. So they had not gone to my property. So I made my decision. I kept my hand over my lips so that Wolf could see me and I snuck. I walked very slowly and softly making no noise like an Indian right towards the sheriff who had his back to me. I could see in Wolf's eyes that he forcefully looked away and was hoping to God that I wasn't going to knock the sheriff over the head with a rock or something. I had no intent of doing that at all. My sole intent, seriously, was to get my van and get out of there before the other sheriff's car came back. And I had a plan. When I got to within about two yards of the sheriff with his back to me, I yelled out really boisterously and loudly, hey, what's going on here? It was sort of funny, but well, not really funny because I was in a tricky situation. The sheriff turned as quickly as he could and tried to pull his gun out of his holster. He fumbled it, dropping it on the ground. It was almost really hilarious. He picked it up quickly and he pointed it right at me saying, put your hands up. So I put my hands up, and then I started my plan. Hey, hey, what is going on here? I, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm just a neighbor. I bought a property over there, some, and I waved my hand in some direction that nobody knew where I was at and where I was coming from. 
I, I was driving up here yesterday afternoon and the clutch cable broke on my van. That was all true. This old guy said that he would fix it for me. So what, now, now I'm stuck up here in the middle of nowhere? What the hell is he arrested for? I can't be stuck up in these mountains. How am I going to get my van fixed now? How am I going to get back to Santa Monica? I went on long enough so that the sheriff could calm himself down. Uh, let me see your ID, he said in a gruff voice. So I pulled out my driver's license and he looked at it. It showed I lived in Santa Monica. Now I knew he would have to think that everything else I told him was the truth also, because that is just human nature. If you get caught lying once, when they believed everything else is a lie, but if you prove that you have told the truth, they think everything you say is the truth. So there he stood, staring at the license that showed I was from Santa Monica. Well, why did you sneak up on me? I just knew that would be his next question. I said, what? What? Sneak up on you? What are you talking about? I went on a hike this morning after breakfast. That old guy said he was going to fix my clutch cable and I already gave him $40. Now I'm stuck up here. What the heck is he arrested for anyway? I thought he was just some old hermit. Jesus, what am I going to do now? Then I started to act really worried, pulled my hair a little and started walking around in circles like I was trying to think what to do. The sheriff just stood there, not knowing what to say or to do. He then looked over at Wolf and he said, Is what this guy's saying is true? Wolf, of course, said, Yeah, yeah, with his German accent, as thick as possible. How long does it take to fix the damn cable? The sheriff said, now putting his gun back in his holster. Well, it only takes a few minutes. I, I have to start the generator to run the welder. Then I just weld it on, Wolf replied. He already paid you to fix it, the sheriff asked. Wolf nodded, yes. Okay, then I guess you'd better fix it. He then went over to Wolf, took out his gun, and unlocked the handcuffs. He walked around as Wolf started up the generator got out the welding machine and climbed under the van, all the while pointing his gun at him. He made me sit down on the log and wait. Wolf fumbled around and then said to the sheriff, I need someone to pull this thing, taunt, so I, I can get a weld on it. The sheriff motioned for me to go over and help him, so I did. Once under the car, we had a fast whisper conversation. Basically, I promised to help bail him out. He finished, I got in my van, started it up and rolled down the hill slowly in second gear, not wanting to shift just in case the weld was no good. I also was hoping that if Brent was anywhere near, he could come out of the hiding and jump into the van. But I didn't see Brent anywhere, and I drove the 30 miles down out of the canyon, staying in second gear. When I got to the highway, I finally shifted, and the cable held. I drove straight back to Santa Monica. Okay, we're going to end there to be continued later.